Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you this week? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I think one thing that's helped both of us this week, and that is because yesterday we had a really nice surprise spring day, even though we're in the middle of winter, where temps almost reached high 60s and sunny. And I don't know about you, Lisa, but my mood was completely different yesterday, knowing I could go outside without a jacket, walk around for for a while, not feeling cold and and just enjoying the warm sunshine. It just really made my week. I am so happy. And that's exactly why I said I'm great because of what, even, even today it's mild. Um, and, and yes, I, um, I actually got my long running yesterday um, for a number of different reasons, but primarily because I knew that was going to be the nicest weather day of the, of the week. And it was like, like you said, it was just so, um, it just felt so good. And there were so many people outside yesterday when I was driving around even later in the day, so many people outside walking their dogs, running, cycling, like there's just such a, it's such a mood lift in the middle of winter. And I also think like we're almost halfway through February, maybe I'm pushing a little bit, a third of the way through February. So March is around the corner. So if we can just get through the rest of this month, like we're almost to spring. So I kind of like this time of year when we start looking forward to um, springtime and the days are longer too. Absolutely. So how is your training going for Boston? It's going, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, um, um, I'm requalified for 2024 already from Indy. So again, I, I kind of like that every year for Boston, where it takes a little bit of pressure off of performance at Boston and just getting to Boston healthy. So I've been doing sort of a revised, a revised, I've done this the last probably couple training cycles where I've been doing a long run every week and a half or two weeks. So I did one two weekends ago. So I think two Saturdays ago. And so, and then I did one yesterday, so that was Wednesday. So that was a week and a half apart. And so I've been doing, depending on what my schedule's like, the weather's like, what I feel like, um, but I haven't been doing one every week, um, but I've been doing consistent mileage, you know, throughout the week. So um, I just, uh, you know, don't feel like that long run is is such a critical part of, of training. And you'll be talking to some of our runners about this, you know, there, I had a runner ask me the other day, like, are we going to get to 20 miles? In, in training before, before her marathon. And I said, you know, so maybe we will, but let's see how, you know, seeing how the build goes right now. And just talking about how 20 is just, um, it's a really kind of an arbitrary number. Um, I think more important is the time on your feet in a long run. And really once you get over two and a half hours, probably certainly three hours, uh, you're, you're really not getting as much benefit as you are I'm putting strain on your muscles and on your body. So to go out and do, if, you know, if, if a 20 mile run is going to take you four hours, it's, it's of limited utility. So, um, so I think it's, you know, sometimes that, that long run and the number on that long run is more for mental, mental confidence than, than for, for physical confidence. So, and I, that's really borne out through my experience, through runners that we've coached that just can get consistent weekly mileage in, um, even if they don't hit a magic number of 20, uh, for their long run, they're, they're still doing well at their marathon. Absolutely. And one critical component of getting that consistent weekly mileage in, of course, is your pace. And yes, you know, we were just talking before we started recording. We feel like we say this every week, but it's honestly, it's worth repeating because we're still seeing a lot of folks out there that are pushing the pace on their easy runs and long runs. And it really doesn't serve any purpose in doing that, except perhaps that day when you finish that run, you feel really great because you look at your watch or you look at Strava and you see your splits and you're really proud of that run. And that is a great feeling, but 
That's not the point of easy runs. The point of easy runs is to get that consistent mileage that you just referenced, Lisa, and to be able to, of course, recover from that consistent mileage and build upon that mileage. And if you aren't able to properly recover because you're running too fast on those easy effort runs, then of course that can lead to burnout, overtraining and injury. And I just want to give one example or two examples. We have had two runners this week that had big breakthroughs last weekend. One is our runner, Sean, and he ran finally a sub two half marathon. That was something that had been a goal of his for quite some time. And we started working with him a little over six months ago. And what he started doing more of is building more mileage. And in doing so, he was running his easy runs very easy, always in the tens, even though his half marathon pace was just under nine. And for many, that would be hard to do because we kind of, I think, have in our minds, I want to keep my pace under 10, or I want to keep my pace under 11. And for some reason you feel bad about yourself. If it's over 11, if it's over 10, and that is not at all an indicator of your success as a racer or as a runner, of course. And then our second breakthrough this week, um, was one of our runners, Dave F and Dave, has been working with us for almost three years and he has slowly but surely cut down on all of his distances and one of his goals was to get into the 21s for the 5k which he easily did last weekend and Dave is super fast. When he does his speed workouts, he's always in the sixes, sometimes in the 5 minute mile range, but he runs all of his easy efforts in the tens. You don't even see nines always in the tens. And Dave has been able to lean into running easy and build his mileage. And because he has a bigger base of mileage, he's starting to really hit those faster times in racing. So combined with the speed workouts, combined with the higher mileage and combined with the easy efforts, he's been able to do this knock on wood, knock on wood without injury. So those are just two examples of people that have been able to lean into easy pace, not look at their paces as a reflection of their ability as a runner, but rather looking at their paces as part of the process to ensure that they're able to build mileage safely and then be able to lean into that high mileage to race effectively. Very well said. And we know we say this all the time. And I said before we got on, like we say this all the time, um, but it really, uh, until I think somebody, until a runner experiences it and gains the confidence, that's, I think a big part of it is the confidence that you can run slow and still race fast. Um, it, it's hard. Like you said, I think a lot of runners and I've had this, had a runner tell me, you know, when, when we um, spoke on the phone at kind of the beginning of, of training was if I, if my watch shows slower than nine minute mile, I don't feel like I got in a workout. And so that was just this like arbitrary number in, in, in her head of like, if I, I didn't get it, it wasn't a real workout if it wasn't under faster than nine minute miles. And, um, so that's really hard to overcome. And, and I get that, um, you know, we get that as runners, but I, like I said, I, I, what I always do is I use my races as my confidence. I think, well, I ran a three eighteen marathon. I, I can, it's okay for me to run nine, nine easy runs. Like I still can go out there and I can perform when it, when it comes to when, when the medal is on the line, you know, I don't need to do that when there's no medal on the line. And I think, um, so that's like confidence that comes over time with seeing the results, uh, play out. So I think that's, um, that's, I guess that's probably an important factor that it just, it's hard for people to do. I, I get it. You get it. 
Um, but it, it's so important, especially like we were saying, to be able to build the mileage that you need to have a successful training cycle and racing cycle at half marathon and marathon distances, that volume of mileage that you need, most of it has to be easy. So you stay healthy. Absolutely. And I really appreciate that you provide your paces because Lisa, you've been racing really, really well over the past year. And you've told me a lot that your, your easy paces have never been slower. Yeah. It was funny. Um, and we'll talk about this in a second, but I was um, speaking to um, Kellen soon, who is a friend of ours and also a journalist in the area. And we, he was interviewing us for a, um, an article that we'll talk about in a second that came out about super shoes. And we were just talking about what, what do I use and what does my training look like? And what do my race results look like? And what do my training paces look like? And I almost like, kind of like, didn't want to say, but then I was like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I, I think Kellen was a little bit surprised when I told him, you know, well, my last marathon was 318. My, my training runs are, you know, around, I told him that particular day, I think it was like a 930 average. And it's like, oh, you know, so, and I kind of wished I, I, I was thinking in my head, like, I hope he puts that in the article because I want people to understand that like, you know, again, and, and, and what I, the, what's important to realize is that the inverse is not true. If you can run all your training runs fast, it does not guarantee you a fast race result. So like you said before, running them a little too fast isn't gaining you anything other than extra wear and tear on your body. So you're breaking your body down more, compromising your recovery. So, you know, we know so many people who go out and they can run their training runs fast paces. They can run 750s, they run, you know, 745s and they go out on marathon day and they run 330 or 345. So that's slower than our runners are in myself and our runners who are doing their training runs at nines, at tens. So running a faster, running faster in your training runs is gaining you nothing. It's not guaranteeing you that on race day, you are going to be faster. What's going to guarantee that you're going to be faster on race day is optimizing your fitness. And in order to optimize your fitness, you need to uh, get your mileage in, you need to get consistency and you need to stay healthy and you need to get to the start line healthy. And, and transitioning um, from that to the article that we were just talking about um, was an article about super shoes. And there was a recent study that showed that the benefits of the super shoes may be less for people who run more slowly, which makes sense to me because in my mind, the benefits of a super shoe are the efficiency. And it's putting, when you're um, putting power out, it's increasing your power, basically. Like you're, you're able to increase your power by the construction of the shoe, the carbon plate and the foam in the shoe. So if you're somebody who puts out less power, you're going more slowly. The difference between a, one of the differences between a faster runner and a slower runner is that every step footfall they take, the faster runner is putting out more power, thus propelling them farther. So it would make sense that a super shoe is more effective when somebody has more power um, in their stride, right? So if you've got less power in your stride, it's not gonna be as effective. So this study showed that it was, you know, there might be a, a, a negligible increase in efficiency for slower runners, like 0.9% or 1.6%. Um, so Kellen's you know, questions were, were really like, so as coaches, do we recommend super shoes for our, for, for the range of our clients? Do we recommend them only for fast runners? Do we recommend them for our quote unquote slower runners? I don't like to say slower because, you know, it's all relative, but, um, and, and what I, you know, emphasize to him is that our number one um, priority is getting our runners to the start line healthy. And part of that is running your easy miles easy. And part of that is wearing shoes that are going to be appropriate for your biomechanics. So if a $295 super shoe is going to give you 
plantar fasciitis, or it is going to give you black toenails or blisters, or um, it is going to give you shin splints, or it is going to lead to um, stress fractures. It is not going to make you faster. I don't care what pace you are. Um, so the most important uh, you know, piece of advice we give our runners is to go get fit at a specialty running store. We love R&J sports here in our area and Kelly and Ray who've helped so many of our runners figure out if that super shoe is going to be right for their biomechanics. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, is if, if it's a shoe that is right for your biomechanics, if it's comfortable for you and if it fits you properly, and if you have the money to spend on a super shoe, sure, go for it. Why should we be elite and say you're not fast enough for a super shoe? If that's going to give somebody the mental boost and even a 0.9% increase in efficiency and they want to spend the money on it, sure. Like, and it's not going to get them injured. That's, that's the most important part. So just jumping into a shoe that you see somebody on Instagram post about that made them faster at their half marathon distance and they, you know, they love it. And then you go out and you just go online and you order that shoe and expect to go out and just start running in it and not get injured. Maybe, maybe you can, but maybe you can't, and maybe you're going to end up injured and then you will not be faster. So that was, um, you know, just kind of tying those two together is our priority as coaches is getting to our runners to the start line in the optimum health so that they can perform to their potential. And part of that is um, not being overtrained. So not running your runs and your bulk of your mileage too fast. And with respect to shoes, that's making sure you're in a shoe that's going to carry you through whatever distance you're running. If you're running a marathon, you better make sure that by mile 20, if your form is falling apart, that shoe is still supporting you. Well said, Lisa, completely agree. And it is the great debate. There are so many people that swear by their super shoes and we're not diminishing that they're effective, but just making sure that everyone understands that they're not for everyone and make sure that you're wearing a shoe that you're going to be comfortable in for the long haul. Because once you're out there and you're in the wrong shoe, that is just a world of pain that you'll find yourself in. For yeah, a- and let me just tell a quick, a quick, um, a quick story without using any names. One of our runners, um, a couple of years ago was like, I it was like the beginning of the pandemic, maybe, um, when, or when races first started coming back. And she decided she was going to go run this half marathon. And she um, called me or messaged me right before and said, oh, I went into the shoe store and the, <clears throat> the, the person at the store told me all about these super shoes and they're so awesome. They have this carbon plate and I got a pair and I'm going to use them in my half marathon this weekend. And I said, oh, don't do that. <laughs> I said, why don't you maybe, maybe you should like do a couple of training runs in them. We'll target another race in them. Like, I don't think it's a great idea. And she was adamant. She said, no, that the, the salesperson at the shoe store was raving about these shoes. They cost me like 200 something dollars. I'm wearing them for the half marathon this weekend. And I said, okay, well, it just makes me nervous. Sure enough, unfortunately, um, luckily she was not injured, but she had to stop halfway through the half marathon because of the, she had horrible um, calf cramps um, from running in the shoes. And she actually pulled out of the race and, um, learned her lesson does not, you know, she's now has a a good pair of shoes that works for her, but it's just that, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a big risk that you're taking. If you're just going to pop on a pair of shoes and go out and run a race in them. For sure. So, well, thanks for, uh, contributing to that article. I'm so glad that it's out there. We, we shared it on our social media channels and we hope everyone has a chance to read it. Um, so this week we have a great guest on our podcast. We are so excited to welcome Shawana White. We know that Shawana has been on so many podcasts and that's for good reason. She is just 
a prolific marathoner, such an accomplished runner, but her Instagram account really is, is why so many folks love her who follow her because literally everything about Shawana is, is just, um, positivity and her motto is keep it positive. And so while Shawana's accomplishments speak for themselves, and we'll talk about those in a moment, really what Shawana is all about is positivity and light. And she brings so much of that to the running community. And we are just so excited to welcome her today. Shawana was featured in the Breaking Three movie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the producer, Tony Reed. And Shawana, of course, was one of the nine women featured in Breaking Three. And she also is an inductee into the National Black Marathoners Distance Running Hall of Fame. And she was inducted in 2022. And Shawana's resume is so prolific. I think we could probably spend this entire podcast going over all of her accomplishments, but I'm going to do my best to summarize them. And I probably won't do them justice through this introduction. But Shawana's claim to fame is that she has run more sub three hour marathons than any U.S. born African-American woman. That is incredible. So Shawana actually um, exceeded the number of marathons run by the original person who held this record. And that is, of course, the amazing Marilyn Bevins. So Shawana talks about that and how she connected with Marilyn and their mutual admiration. Um, Shawana is a graduate of the University of West Georgia, where she was a four-time all-golf South Conference athlete for cross-country and track. And after college, she continued her athletic pursuits in South Carolina, where she was ranked as a top 25 female runner of all time. She's also the state's record holder in the 40 to 44-year-old age group for the 5K and 15K, and the two-time USATF South Carolina Runner of the Year in 2016 and 2017, and the 2020 USATF Masters South Carolina Runner of the Year. In addition to her prolific running resume, which we'll talk extensively about, she is also an educator. She's been teaching for over 15 years, and she teaches physical education and she also used to coach, and we talk about eventually how she hopes to return to that. She's just a shining example of how one can not only be an amazing runner in terms of times, but also an amazing human who happens to run. So without further delay, we would love to well, we welcome Shawana White to the podcast, and we hope that everyone enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Lisa, I know you had to do some driving during that time. I'm sorry you missed it. Um, but we both hope to meet Shawana um, very soon in when we meet up with her at a race, hopefully sometime soon. So yeah, thank, thank you for doing it. She seems like she's just a, like an awesome dynamic person. So um, thanks for thanks for talking to her. Of course. So Shawana, thanks for joining us. And Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Shawana White, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. I am so excited to talk with you today because social media is so creepy. I feel like I already know you because I've been following you for a very long time on Instagram and that sounds super stocky, but it, I don't mean it to at all. It's just, you are a very prolific poster in a very positive way. And Lisa and I often talk about how we like to curate our own social media uh, to create a positive space for ourselves. And you certainly contribute to that. So first of all, thank you for that. And secondly, thank you for joining us today. And Lisa's so sorry she can't be here, but um, it's just me and I'm really excited to talk with you. So 
why don't we get started and why don't you introduce yourself to those who may not know you by sharing a little bit about um, where you're from, where you live, and a little about your running background. Hi, and thank you for having me on. It's such a pleasure. Um, my name is Shawna White. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I currently reside in Columbia, South Carolina. I have been running for about 20 plus years. I started in high school and I took a little break after college and then I laced back up and started back running. And during that time, um, I had the honor of holding the most records, um, sub three hour marathons for a black American US born female in a marathon. And I just love running. <laughs> and I'm a physical education teacher too as well. Yes. Okay. So first of all, let's start with the very beginning. You ran in high school and college, and I've heard you talk about this a lot. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate on this a little bit. You were encouraged at a young age to um, run more shorter distances. And um, how did you get into middle to long distance? And what was that journey like for you? No, no, actually, I was never um, um, encouraged to run shorter distance. I may have stated on other podcasts that normally black children are geared towards the shorter distance but however i had the privilege of having a coach that put us in the best event that was suited for us so he actually decided based on practice whatever he saw in practice that i was good for the 800 and up that's a great coach i love that so tell me um what that was like for you and how that eventually um led you to collegiate running and then of course eventually a, a marathon yeah, so in high school, like I said, I was 800, 16 meter, 100, and 3,200. And basically, my coach in high school told me that I could get a college scholarship to run in college. And in Georgia, we have what was called the Hope Scholarship as well. So if you maintain a 3.0 in high school, you can get that on top of a college scholarship. So that was like a sentence to keep trying to run as best as I could so I can get a scholarship to cover all my college tuition. So then I, I decided to go to the University of West Georgia because in high school, I went to a predominantly black high school and I wanted to experience the world and be in a more diverse environment. And I feel like out of all the colleges that I was looking at during the time that University of West Georgia would allow me to have that experience. So I went to the University of West Georgia. Um, I'm not sure if anybody broke that record, but I became the first person to make all conference all four years for females. Um, I think somebody may have been in the running to break that. I'm not quite sure. And then at the college, I actually took a, a break, probably about three to four years because I was just tired. You know, collegiate running was just so much and you didn't get to go home on the weekend because another decision for me going to West Georgia is because it was close to my home. It was only an hour drive. And I thought if we didn't have races that we get to go home on the weekends, but no, you got to train and do that long run <laughs> with the team. So yeah. And then, you know, I started teaching at a charter school in Georgia and in the charter schools at the time, I don't know how they are in this day and time because I work at a public school, but back in the day, they didn't have sports. And so this one guy created a loot sports league. And in his league, he had flag football, basketball, and soccer. 
And then one day he had like an exhibition track meet. And so I made an announcement because, you know, I had experience in track and running. So I was like, okay, might as well get some kids to come out. It's a one day thing. And so I coached them for maybe two weeks and then we ran the track meet and all the kids, they were so excited about the meet and they wanted to continue to run track. And then one of the parents was like, we can put them in parks and ricks. And I was like, Okay, what is that? Never heard of that. All I know is summer track because I ran summer track when I was in high school. And so we did that. We entered them in parks and Ritz and just seeing my little boys and girls training, like it just inspired me to like, you know, Shawana, go back, go back out there and start running again. See what you can do. And so, you know, I started back running. I was running by myself and I was like, this is boring. I need people to run with. So then I started Googling searching for run groups. And then I found the South DeKalb Striders. And, you know, I started running with them on every single Saturday. And then within that group, I found two young guys at the time. They took me on their wing and they started training me and encouraged me to try to get on the Atlanta Track Club team. And I achieved that goal. And and then I, I made it on that team. And once I was on that team, that team at the time, the competitive team was more focused on the 5K and then eventually, how did I get into the marathon? That is a good question, because at first I thought people who ran marathons were crazy. You know, who would want to run 26.2 miles? That makes no sense. And so one weekend, I ended up running a, a 5K, a 10K, and a mile all in one day. It probably was like 20 to 30 minutes in between each race. And then the next day I ran a half marathon. And at the time I was like only two minutes away from my PR. So I was like, you know, if I did all that in one week, I might as well just try the marathon and see what the hype is all about, you know, see why it's so special. So I tried my first marathon, did not like it. I had to go to the med tent. And then I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna do this. But after I calmed down for about 10 hours or so, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna try this again because I didn't achieve my goal. And at the time I wanted to break three hours and all my friends was like, you Boston qualified? And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I don't care what that is, but I just wanted to break three hours. And I don't know why I wanted to break three hours, but I just thought something was special about breaking three hours. What was your time for your very first marathon? 312. Which is fantastic, but there must have been something during your training that led you to believe that you could break three hours. So why don't you share a little bit about how you had the confidence going into your first marathon um, and you only missed it by 15 minutes, which is amazing. Well, 12 minutes, which is amazing because it is your first marathon, but what led you to believe you could do it during your first marathon and then continue after that? Yeah, I think basically the training was suggesting that I can break three hours because I was doing a lot of stuff at 645 pace. And then at the time, my half marathon PR was 79.53. So I assumed that, you know, if I can do 79.53 for a half and most people's like, you know, double that add 10 minutes, you know, which is sane. But, um, you know, and I was like, OK, I'm, I'm halfway there. So. You know, all I got to do is slow down a little bit, you know, run like 128 or something and run it again. So I felt like that was something that I could do. And so you eventually, and that was at the Snickers Albany? Yes, marathon. in 2011. Okay. So that's not a long time. I mean, we're only in 2023. So your career, while you run now, how many marathons have you run? 25? No, I believe it's at um, 26. I think Chicago Marathon 
was my 26th marathon. Yes. Okay. Which is incredible. So that's, that's a lot for running for, um, 13 years. Um, so that's, that's really incredible. Um, so you eventually did break three and that was at your second marathon. So once you accomplished that and share a little bit about how that felt, what was your goal next after that? And, and what did your trajectory look like during that time? Yeah. Oh man, that marathon, that was, that was a good day. I mean, that marathon felt good. I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even hit the wall because I went out slow in comparison to my first marathon. My first marathon, I probably went out like at 124 and, and died. <laughs> that includes some walking, but this time I went out like at 127, 128 around that pace. And I was just running because at Kiowa at the time they started the marathoners in the um, half marathon together. And it was a two loop course. I don't believe it's no longer two loops, but it was two loops. And so towards the end, the half marathons break off. And so during that first loop, I ended up finding a young lady who was running the um, half marathon and she was actually trying to run a PR. And, you know, and so that helped me to get my mind off the actual marathon distance. Cause I was just focusing on trying to help her and encourage her. And at the time it just felt amazing. So after I dropped her off, I just kept running and running. And at the time of that race, it was doing the Olympic trials. So a lot of women were trying to go for that OTQ, Olympic trial qualifier. And, and so I didn't see a lot of ladies. I was by myself. Then eventually I started picking off runners, men. And then I ran up into Zola Bud. And she was telling me, she was like, great job. And I was like, thank you. And I was like, great job That's to you. And she was like, what's your name? Yeah, yeah. She was like, once you pass me, yeah. She was like, once you pass me, you'll be in third place. And I was like, huh? You gotta be kidding me. I, I guess all those ladies dropped out because they wasn't gonna get the time on that day. And so I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm about to come third overall. So I just started running for my life. And then when I saw that finish line, I was just so happy. And then I saw the clock, and it was like 2:55, and I was like, wow, I smashed three hours. <laughs> and so it was. I was pretty excited because, you know, at that race, they give out little Pelican medals. I mean, Pelican trophies, which was really cool. And they also had a cash prize at the time. But, and that even was better. Yeah, yeah, even better. So what was it like? I mean, just just a little tangent. That is really cool that you were running with briefly with Zola Bud. So did you get to talk to her after that race? And what was that like if you did? Well, I and I didn't get to talk to her at that particular race, but I have been able to talk to her um, maybe years ago because she her and her daughter used to come down to Columbia sometime and run a 5K. So I have had the opportunity to talk to her then. And it was just a great experience just talking to her about running. And yeah, she's a really nice lady. <laughs> Did you tell her that she inspired you to really push to the finish and, and achieve your first uh, sub three? Oh yeah, I did let her know that that yeah, that light us fire that make me keep going. <laughs> That's incredible. So you got your first sub three in 2012 or 2000? 2011 as well. 2011, so that year, year. So that year I did two marathons okay. in one year. Yeah. Right. And and then and then after that, my coach at the time, he he thought that I could qualify for the Olympic trials in 2016. So we just started working towards that. And then during that process, I ended up having some hip pain 
And then the great Dr. Glass, a lot of people may know him. He works on the circuit. He tried to help me. Then he sent me to Emory University. And then I had to get an MRI. Then the MRI said all this crazy stuff is going on and you need surgery. And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm not going to be able to run marathons anymore. So that was back in 2013. And, you know, I ended up having a surgery that um, spring before school was out. And so that was just a whole process. I mean, just learning how to walk again, use crutches. I mean, I didn't even know how to use crutches after surgery because you're supposed to learn before surgery, but I was struggling and they was just like, well, we'll just try doing surgery. I was like, oh, okay. So it was just a process. I mean, I just, I mean, I had to learn how to walk, start from a really beginner level. I mean, my first race, I think back was like 23 minutes for a 5k. So it was a, it was a process. So I didn't get to qualify for the 2016 Olympic trials because I was still just trying to learn how to run and get better. So it sounds like you had this tremendous breakthrough and then it was almost as if the breakthrough wreaked a little bit, a lot of havoc on your hip and then caused this injury. So when that happened, first of all, talk a little bit about the process and how you mentally and physically got through it. And secondly, how do you think the injury actually helped you in the long term after you were able to recover? Yes. Um, so during that time, I had a really good support system because I had a team because we, first I was on a Atlanta track club team and then my team, we broke off with my coach and we created our own team that was focused on the marathon. So I had those ladies supporting me before surgery and doing surgery as well. And then after I was able to, you know, move around and able to drive for myself, I would go out to the races and cheer on my teammates. So that really kept me inspired and encouraged just seeing them achieve their goals because, you know, I really love the sport of running. Like I like to achieve my goals as well, but I enjoy seeing other people run well. And that fired me to run well as well. So yeah, that's what I do during my time doing hip surgery. And then going forth, it just taught me that, you know, in running, you you are going to have ups and downs. You are going to have injuries. And that's part of the game. And so when I get an injury, I don't really panic or freak out because I know if I just be patient and just do all the things that are required of me, that I'll be back to where I was and sometimes maybe even better because after hip surgery, I mean, I ended up running my best marathon ever, which was 245.19. And then I ran the most marathons as a black female. So I achieved two of those big things after hip surgery. And right now I'm going through some kind of weird injury cycle. And we'll just see what happened after this one is over. So I, I want to just talk about a little bit more about your hip surgery, just because we have so many listeners that have been in your shoes. And in fact, um, I'm in your shoes right now. I, I recently had ACL surgery. So selfishly, I always like to hear um, runners um, stories on how they navigate injury. So yours certainly is inspiring because a hip injury is pretty serious. First of all, can you detail what happened to your hip or what the diagnosis was specifically? And then what kind of rehab did you do in addition to the mental support you received from your team? What did you do in terms of physical, if you can remember back to 2013 when it happened? And then third, how did you transition back to running? 
Yes. So my condition, it was it's called um FAI. I don't know how to say that big word, but no basically, <laughs> basically it just has to do with the hip socket joint where it's not shaped properly. So when it's going in, it's tearing the labrum. So basically they have to go in there and um, repair the label labrum and I think shave the bone as well, something of that nature. Um, and so then after surgery, I remember that I was at home for some weeks before I started PT. And then I started going to PT and, and doing my PT exercises. And then eventually um, doing that pressure where I also had some dry needling. But yeah, so I just went to PT constantly, just did whatever they told me. And then after that, before I started back working with my coach, I was working with um, Dr. Glass. And so he had the um, anti-gravity treadmill. So I started off on that at first with um, my body weight. Like they, I don't, I think it takes some of your body weight off or something. And I started on that. And so we started like at two miles. Then I worked my way up to four miles. Like I really don't like treadmills. So that's as far as I was able to go. And so once I was able to get to four miles, that's when I was handed back over to my coach. And during that time, we started just, I remember my first run, it was only 15 minutes of walking and running. I, I can't remember the combination of how we did it, but I, I know it was 15 minutes total. And it was the most exciting thing ever. And, and we just, we just worked our way from there, like just little bit by little. I mean, it was so basic that I can remember. It wasn't even like high school. It was like walk run program for maybe if a month or so before I started trying to do longer workouts. Yeah. It's really incredible because think about it. You went from probably wondering, am I ever going to get back? Because it was your first serious injury. And then as you mentioned, you then found yourself continuing to break three hours. And then of course you were able to meet almost the OTQ standard. You were so close. So that was in 2018. So it was a good, sounds like five years between the time of your injury and then your PR. So I would imagine there were some ups and downs in there. Was What was that like between returning to your injury and then achieving that PR how did you feel during that time? Um, and did you think about your injury a lot when you were working toward that during those five years? Yeah, I think in the beginning, like 2014, I, I thought about it, the injury a lot because, you know, the hip, I, I always was thinking that maybe, oh, if I keep running, I'm, I'm going to hurt it again. But my, my doctor assured me that, you know, you can be dropped off from the building and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, I want to try that out, but okay, if you say so. <laughs> and, and so, you know, during that time, it was just, it was hard at 2014. I mean, but eventually I was able to run and not think about the hip. And then I don't think before my PR, I don't think I really had any, I didn't have any major setbacks. It was just after the PR, like that last year trying to get the OTQ, like try to get the OTQ, that's when I started having injuries. And I remember one specifically was with my quads for some strange reason. My quads was just hurting so bad and I probably should have went to PT, but I just kept running and running and running because I was like, I'm running out of time to get the standard. And so I did one, I can't, I 
can't remember, was it 2018 or 2019? Or maybe the end of, no, I think it was 2019. Yeah, I did CIM because the next thing was um, Houston. And I was like, you know what, I'm done. I didn't achieve this goal. And that's okay. Because in the process, I ran my fastest marathon ever. And I never thought in a million years that I would be running 245 anything. So just to run that was really great, you know, and even though like CIM, I end up having to drop out at 17 miles because the quads were not happy. So, yeah. So 245.19 is incredible. And of course the standard is a standard because someone decided to make it under 245, but I'm sure you, you knew this at the time, nothing can take away from that huge PR and that breakthrough that you had. And it was almost as if the standard allowed you to have that breakthrough because if that standard didn't exist, you probably wouldn't have tried for that time, which happens to a lot of runners. I mean, especially those trying to qualify for Boston, not just the OTQ standard. Once one sets a standard, they try that standard and maybe they wouldn't if it wasn't there to begin with. So that being said, how did you feel when you, when you achieved that? Were you more disappointed that you weren't able to get that extra 20 seconds or were you more excited? What was that feeling for you? Oh, yes. I, I remember the day like yesterday. Um, it was it was actually exciting. Like I was really happy. I was I was a little shocked because I thought I was on pace. So I was really surprised that the clock didn't match what I thought I was going to run. But then after I got over there, I was like really happy and excited because I also placed third, third overall female. So that's pretty cool, you know, coming in top three for a marathon. So, you know, you got to celebrate those wins. Yeah. What, I'm sorry. What marathon was it? Was it the one city marathon? Yes, the New one city marathon. In Newport News. Yes. Okay. All right. Go on. So, okay. Yeah. I remember that day, Zika Henry, um, the first American Black pro triathlete. I remember her saying to me, she's like, I can't believe you're not crying right now. And I was like, I have no reason to cry. I mean, I just ran a PR. And so, I mean, it's a personal record or personal best, depending on where you are in the in the world. So I was just so excited. I can't be disappointed with running my best. Like I just ran my best ever. Yes, it was not the goal that I was shooting for, but it was my best ever. And so I feel me personally, I never can get disappointed if I ran my best ever you know, because you don't know how many of those days you have. Absolutely. So you tried to get the OTQ standard. You didn't. It's okay. What did you do instead um, during the Olympic trials? And and how are you able to sort of manage that? Yeah. So doing the Olympic trials, because, you know, I'm, I'm from Atlanta. So it was like, I was like, I really wanted to be on the streets that I know so well. But unfortunately, I didn't get to go. So that morning of, I actually ran a 5K down in Warner, I think it was like Warner Robins area of Georgia. It was like maybe an hour or 90 minutes away. So I ran that 5K and I think I was like second overall that day. And so after that, me and my friends, we drove up to Atlanta and watched the trials and just, it was fun. And I and I also did like a, a Friday dance on a Saturday in the streets. <laughs> of Atlanta and then like people walking by this one guy was like he danced alone and so that was really fun I mean just watching the race was really exciting up close and personal and then after the race we was trying to find some other friends and then during the process we was in the Omni Hotel I, I don't think it's called that anymore but um we were in there and then we saw Jared Ward 
And like, I was so excited. I was like, it's Trevor Ward. I know he probably thought it was crazy, but it was so exciting. He was very nice and his parents were nice. I mean, it was a great experience because I was able to see a bunch of elite runners and some podcast hosts as well, because I went to the Generation You Can show late on that day. So it was a really fun weekend. I'm going to say. Well, I would like to say that those runners and podcast hosts also got to see Shawana White because everybody knows you too. So it was probably the <laughs> feeling was mutual. But what I love and, and the reason I asked the question is that you really are, you, you have a terrific skill in that you're able to take something that many would perceive as a setback and turn it into a positive opportunity and a positive experience. And you certainly did that in 2020. There are a lot of folks out there that might not have had the, the strength to do what you did and, and, and turn a situation that some may feel is devastating. Like Sika pointed out to you and said, how can you not be crying? You immediately said, at the finish line, I had a PR, I can't be upset. And then you moved from that and actually attended the very race that you were trying to participate in. And I just, I give you props for, for having that skill and being able to do that. I think that is such an important skill in running. And clearly it has allowed you to succeed in that you are, you have the title as we've talked about before in our episode with Tony Reed, you have achieved being the most prolific Black woman marathoner in our country you to achieve sub three. And that's incredible. And you just mentioned you have 26 sub three marathons. No, no, no. I ran 26. <laughs> I ran okay. 26. Sorry. So, so it's 16, 16. 16. My apologies. Okay. 16. <laughs> and that's incredible. So how far ahead are you than anyone else in your category? And um, is anyone close to achieving sub three? I, well, I was at first I was tied with Marilyn Bevins for 13. And so I remember, I think when that I, I think I ran that, the break that tie was like back in, I'm pretty sure it was like 2020. No, no, it wasn't 2020. Cause I don't rent three. I can't remember what year it was, but it was at the Mercedes Benz marathon one of those years. Cause I, I run that marathon almost every single year. And so that's when it was 14. And then I ran two more. Yeah. 2020 was the last one. That was the last time I broke three hours. So it's been a while since I broke three hours. So that's when I ran the 16th one in 2020. So I'm hoping in 2023, I can break three hours again. That's my goal. I have no doubt you will do that. So you first, okay. So let's talk about, since you brought up Marilyn Bevins, when you broke Marilyn's record, did you reach out to her and let her know? Because that's, that's well, well, see, at the time, I didn't know her personally, so I couldn't reach out. But doing the documentary, that was my first time actually meeting Marilyn Bevins. And I was such a fangirl. And it was it was a exciting experience to be with her that whole weekend. And so, yeah, so I was able to talk about the record during that weekend. And then I also had another opportunity to spend time with Marilyn in Cincinnati last year at the Flying Pig when I was inducted into the National Black Distance Running Hall of Fame. And so that was really fun too. We actually, for the, we both ran the 10K that weekend and we both had the opportunity to walk down and we warmed up together. So that was, that was pretty cool to be able to warm up with Marilyn Bevins. She was like, you know, I'm going slow. I was like, it's okay. I like to go slow. You know, I'm not trying to go fast and warm up. I'm saving that for the race. 
That's incredible. Isn't she hilarious? We loved meeting her last year in Boston. She is such a fun woman and has so many great nuggets of wisdom. Do you remember anything that she shared with you or any advice that you can share here? Um, Oh man, so much. Um, I just, the one thing that really stick out to me, how she was talking about back in her time, how they didn't have all these fancy things. They just went out and ran and that, you know, as runners that we should just really just focus on the running part and not all these gadgets and all these special techniques, just, just go out there and run and, you know, and, and have fun and work hard. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I also love that. I believe that she, for several years was also an educator like you are. So I'm sure you talked about that as well. Yes. She was actually a PE teacher as well. So we had that, we have that in common and, you know, she was telling me about her coaching experience because she also was coaching. And I think she, I don't know, she said she's still coaching. She may still be coaching still to this coaching. day. Yeah. 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 She's still, she's still coaching and she's talking about how the kids these days are just so lazy, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I can attest that is true in <laughs> some instance. And that's one of the main reasons that I became a physical education teacher because I saw that kids weren't going outside because as a kid, I used to be all, we were always outside. I mean, my grandmother used to have to literally beg us to come in the house. Like it was, it was a struggle, but now these days you don't see kids out playing and riding their bikes and, you know, doing all those fun things that you can do as a kid. So. Absolutely. So you, I'm going to switch topics since we're talking about it anyway, you mentioned you, your, the kids actually inspired you to start running. And that was during your coaching experience. And it sounds like you haven't really done a lot of coaching since then, of course, because you're working full-time, you're running full-time as well. Have you thought about going back into coaching at some point? Because to me, you seem like a natural coach, just the way you conduct yourself. And of course your deep knowledge of running to begin with. Yeah, you know, actually, when I was coaching in Georgia, I was working full time as well and and running as well. It's just the setup was better for me because my job was only like two miles away and the coaching thing was really close. Everything was close. And now I have a 40 minute drive to my job. And so it makes it a little harder to coach. But I do one day I do decide. I am going to go back to coaching because I really enjoy coaching young kids. Or I was thinking about maybe I may start a run club in my school. I don't know which one I'm going to do first, but one of those two things are going to happen. I mean, the coaching is definitely going to happen, but the run club, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. So I may do that next school year, but I'm definitely am going to coach again because I really enjoy that. And that was just really fun. Just seeing those kids work hard and, you know, they're always like, Coach White, we want to win medals like you. And I'm like, okay, well, sometimes remember, it's not about the medals. I mean, that's good too. But if you keep trying to beat yourself, then guess what? The medals in a place, all of those are going to come. So let's just focus on trying to get better and not so much on a competition. Absolutely. I, I have no doubt that you'll be coaching again. I can't wait to see what you do with that when you're ready. Understandably with a 40 minute commute, it's challenging, but I have no doubt you'll be there. So let's go back to your running a little bit. You talked about, um, how you had this trajectory, you were hitting your sub threes and then, uh, 2020, it sounds like you had a great year. I know that you 
one 50k um, after 2020, and that you've had some really big breakthroughs in other distances. So you also talked about though that you're navigating some injury again. So tell me a little bit about what's going on with your running now, and also about how you train now that you're a master's runner and and what you're doing to preserve your longevity in running. Yes. So um, right now I'm currently. I think I'm currently occurring to my chiropractor that I'm, I'm dealing with some sciatica. But before that, I was dealing with some kind of weird and gait um, thing with my form, like my leg, my right leg would swing. And so my PT thought it was because the left leg was weak. So we've been working on trying to get the left leg stronger. And that's the same leg that I'm experiencing on um, sciatica in as well. So so now I think I'm over the hump with that. And now it's just the process of getting back in shape because I took a lot of days off and weeks not running and sometimes running. And so now I'm just trying to get my fitness back. And so I'm just trying to build the miles up and eventually start doing workouts at some point. But right now I'm just enjoying jumping in races and doing the best I can and and getting my butt kid. I mean, that's really fun. That's just part of the process. And I think with me to have longevity as a master or just a runner in general is that I think we, I don't know if we talk about this beforehand or doing this podcast, but the easy runs, I think the easy runs are my key to my longevity because a lot of people, even including myself, at one point I felt like I needed to run 730 pace for every single run. I don't know where I got the number from, but in my head, I was like, I need to run 730. But then one day my coach at the time, he told me, Joanna, you're going too fast. You need to slow down. Go slower. It's okay. It's no problem with going slow on your easy days. Save all the hard running for your hard days and for race days. And so I've been, you know, applying that method for a long time. And it helps me even with my with my marathons and me being a serial racer is like a key component to allow me to do those things. Because a lot of people, they look at my Strava and they're like, how are you running so fast? You run all these easy miles. And I was like, well, when I do have quality, it counts, you know? And so I feel like the signs show that the easy miles just allow you to work harder and run faster. Absolutely. So can you provide some specific paces? So uh, for those who may not quite get how easy you run. So tell me generally when you're in your peak shape, what is about your 5k pace? Okay. So when I'm in peak shape, my 5k pace is normally about 540 to 545. Yeah. Yeah around that range when I'm in peak shape. And then when I'm running easy, when I'm by myself, because sometimes I know when I run with certain groups, they're going to go these paces. And so that's the time that I run with these groups. But by myself, my easy running can be 8.30 to 10 minutes on any given day based on how I feel. And what do you say to folks that say, well, that's 
that's great for you, but I can't run that slow. What, what tips do you have for folks who don't understand that everyone has the capability of running significantly easier than your heart paces? You just gave also what I love, a pace range. You don't have a set easy pace. It sounds to me that you run your easy pace based on how you feel that day. And some days yes. when you're feeling like you really need recovery, you're running closer to 10, where other days when you're feeling a little more springy, but it's still an easy day, you're running closer to 8, 830. Still yeah. three, two and a half, three minutes slower than your 5k pace, even your quote unquote fast, easy pace. So what advice do you have for folks who say, I can't run easy. It's too hard. I feel much better when I'm running faster. Yeah. My, my one great advice that I tell people and I even had to tell myself, it's just like, you know, you say running hard is hard, but guess what? You learn how to run hard and the same thing applies for easy running. It's a skill that you have to learn. Like you have to practice running slow, just like you have to practice running fast. You didn't like running fast at first, but guess what? You did it because you know it will help you to run faster as a runner. So running slower is going to do the same thing. It's going to help you achieve your goals. So you just got to practice running slow. Love it. And you call your easy pace, sexy pace, which the first time I heard that term, what was in a runner's world article, but I know that you were using that term well before that article came out. And I just love that so much. And what I also love Shawana is that you were, you were very transparent about your training on Strava and Instagram, and you don't try to perform in your training. So in other words, when you run easy, you embrace that you show the world this is my easy pace today. And I think that's so important for people to see that there's no shame in running easy. There's no shame in running slow on your easy days. In fact, it's, it's a, it should be a brag. It should be something people brag about on Strava, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, it's nothing, nothing wrong with running slow. It's, it's cool. It's, it's sexy pace. I don't, a lot of people don't understand it. Absolutely. You know, and doing when you're running slow, that's the best time to have the best conversations. And also when you're going slow, you're able to take in the scenery more, you know, on the run. Because when you're running certain paces, sometimes you're not able to see, oh, that building or that tree. So, you know, I Absolutely. just enjoy it. So how do you though manage all of this? Um, given you work a full-time job, you have a long commute you're a prolific racer, you're running a lot of mileage and you're running some of that mileage very easy, meaning you're spending a lot more time on your feet. How are you fitting all this in? <laughs> yeah, good question. Sometimes I ask myself, um, well, it depends on where I'm at in my training. Sometimes when I was doing doubles, I'm no longer doing doubles at the time right now, but I would run before work and then sometimes at the work. And most of the time, honestly, I really enjoy running before work because it likes to set the tone of the day and it makes me feel good and more energetic and better for my students. Like I just found that it makes me a better person. And, you know, if that requires me to wait, depending on what type of day it is, if it's an easy day versus a hard day, most of the time on the hard days, I do have to wake up a little earlier, sometimes maybe 3.30 to start at four o'clock or three o'clock to start at four o'clock still. So, I mean, the way I see it, it's, it's important to me. So I, I find time. And then I also have the luxury that, you know, I'm a single person, so I don't have kids. So I know sometimes that could be a hurdle for people, but I still feel at the end of the day, you know, you can find that little time because I know 
on some instance when I came from like trips or something, I would just run late at night to get that run in. I just I just find time to get it in. But most of the time I run before work and after work. That's where I fit it in. But in Georgia, I really had a sweet opportunity because I had such a long break that I could go do workouts doing work because like I had a two hour break. And so I would just change my office and run to the track, the middle school track, and then run back and shower or wipe off. And yeah, that helped a lot. That was that made running so easy, especially when I was coaching. But, you know, props to you because you live in Georgia and a lot of a lot of the school year, it's very hot. So there are a lot of folks out there that would say, no, I can't do that in the middle of the day because I can't run when it's that hot, when the sun is beating on me. So you didn't use that as an excuse either. Even that's difficult for many people too, to not run early in the morning and to run in the middle of the day, especially in, in the South. Yeah. I, me personally, I love, I, I love the heat versus the cold. I mean, I'll still run cold. I mean, like this weekend when I, 5k I just dress properly I just have to run in the tights and not the shorts because yes. if I do that I'll feel miserable absolutely absolutely <laughs> so what so we talked so much about your your all of your accomplishments and you mentioned that your last marathon that you ran was um your 26th marathon at Chicago and that was last fall and so what is next for you do you have a marathon yet on the books or are you kind of waiting to see how you recover from um this current situation that you're navigating yes um well I I, I don't know yet some things are in the making um I may I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but some things are in some things are in the in the works, and I'm waiting to hear back. So I, I may be running a spring marathon. Oh, I can't say. You don't have to say. But I'm waiting. So I'm waiting back to hear from the people, and yeah. So okay. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that marathon for sure, regardless of how. I mean, I'm hoping I'll. I'm hoping that I'll be I'll be fine to complete it. But I'm I'm hoping that you know, some things can change and maybe I can break three hours there, but who knows, but I'll be able to complete it regardless. All right. Well, I'm excited to see what that is. And I, I won't try and pressure you to, to reveal what it is, but we'll, we'll be on the lookout for that. So with, if things go well, are you pursuing uh, the OTQ standard now that it's moved to a 237? And how did you feel when they moved that standard from the sub 245 to now a sub 237? I was like, I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, one of my one of my long term goals goals is to try to run the fastest time for a black woman, and I feel like somebody will beat me to that, and that's fine, that's great. But I still want to run faster than that time that with that previous time before it come a new time. So, and, and I didn't previous- have really a timeline. Hot huh. previous time is 2.34 from Samia Akbar. Yes. And okay. so that's that's one of my long-term goals. So I was like, well, to, trying to run 2.37 would get me closer to that goal. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to really think that way considering the current state that I'm in. So I have to, at the same time, be realistic and set smaller goals. So my first goal is to try to break three hours sometime 
hopefully I'm hoping I can run that spring marathon and break three hours there or get close to breaking three hours. And then this fall or winter, just, just do a Hail Mary and go for it and see what happens, you know? And if not, I'll still be watching with my friends because we're already with the Airbnb. So yeah. <laughs> Lisa and I hope to be. I'll be there regardless. Yeah. Huh? Lisa and I definitely hope to be in Orlando as well. So I hope to meet you there if, if not sooner. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Breaking Three. You were instrumental in the making of that movie. Can you share a little bit about that story from your perspective? Tony Reed shared a little bit about it on our podcast a few weeks ago, but I'd love to hear your side of the story and then share a little bit about how the making of that documentary, um, what that was like for you. Yeah. So so basically, it, it all started when I read um, Abby Burfoot book, First Lady, Women Are Running, or something to that nature. And I that's when I first discovered Marilyn Bevins, because she was the first Black female to break three hours. And, and I was just wondering, like, are there other Black women who qualify for trials or broken three hours? Because all I see when I go to the races is myself. So I was like, do these other people exist? Because, you know, I'm always looking for people to be aspired by. And I'm just thinking like, at the time I was thinking like, for me to try to qualify for the trials, is that even realistic? Have any black person from the United States done such a thing? Like, I mean, is this even possible? So, um, so I reached out to Abby Burfoot in an email. I just took a shot. I was like, all you're going to do is not answer or respond. And so he actually responded and he sent my question to Tony and Gary Corbett. And so, you know, Tony's response was like, he wasn't sure and didn't know how you would get that information. And then Gary was like, okay, he was going to start researching. And so eventually he researched and then he came back to me with a list. And I was shocked at, at the first, I mean, I, I was as high as fourth on the list. And I think now I'm eighth on the list, which is great because, you know, we're achieving a goal. We're getting more black females out there running sub three hour marathon. So that always been my goal just to see more people like me running the race, you know, because sometimes, you know, it, sometimes it get lonely being the only one and, you know, seeing other people doing it is, society and it's so crazy I think back to that um Chicago Marathon Madison who's a new person on the list I actually saw her as she ran past me in the race and I was like That's I was okay. like you go girl I don't know if she heard me but you know I was just so excited to see her run past me I mean I, I wish I was able to run with her but unfortunately I was just not in that fitness and I probably had no business running Chicago in the first place but I did anyway and so the documentary that was a really exciting, that was an exciting weekend to just be amongst all those women and hear their stories about running and training and just life in general and what they're doing now and how some of them are still running. Like Alyssa Harvey, she's still out there running track races, setting records as a master's on a track. And I'm like, wow. And that just give me the inspiration, like, you know, as a master runner to just keep getting out there and hopefully I can get myself healthy again so I can, I don't know about setting any records on track, but maybe I can set some records on the road because that's what I enjoy doing, running on the road. And, you know, 
chatting up with Ingrid, learning about her story and how she overcame cancer and started back training and still has the desire to try to OTQ and, and get faster. Like she ran her first sub three hours, like at the age of 48. Like that is like, wow, wow, wow. They just let you know if you do all the right things, anything is possible for you, you know, whatever goal that you're trying to achieve. So it was just a fun weekend. I mean, I hung out with Zika, actually Zika, me and um, Ingrid. I convinced them to go to this run because there were some people that I knew from Instagram and they was having a group run that met at the monumental monument. And we went and ran with them. I was like, cause Zika drove up cause she lived in Virginia. So we didn't have a car. Cause at first Ingrid was going to Uber with me. And so we saw that Zika, I was like, Zika, you want to come? And she was like, you know, I'm not really a morning runner, but she ended up coming and we, we had a good time with the run group. And I mean, I was really special about that run group because it was predominantly black runners. And I've never been in an environment where, except when I run with black girls run and black men run, that there was just a run group that was, you know, predominantly black runners. So that was that was exciting to see, you know, and it was it was really it was a fun it was a fun weekend and I just learned so much from the ladies and and then we met little Gracie. I don't know at the time if she was five or six and she's running like 22 minutes or, or 21. One of, one, of, one of those times, I mean, either time is incredible for a little kid. I mean, because some adults can't even run that fast, you know? So it's like, wow, just for a little kid to just be like, okay, I'm going to push my body that hard because that's not an easy task, you know, running 21 minutes. I know for a fact because I just ran it this weekend. And I mean, it's, it feels just like 17 minutes. I mean, it's all hard. <laughs> so, yeah. And I don't know if I answered the question. No, you did yeah. totally. I can just, I, I can't imagine how special that was to be in this club, this elite club with these women and, and together, coming together and being featured in this documentary that your question generated. I, I can't imagine the feeling you must have had when you all convened in, in the DC area a few years ago to make the documentary. And since then, how has your life changed? What, what has happened since the documentary has been released and people have started to hear your story and your perspective and what it, what it means to you to, to have more women in the marathon distance, have more women breaking three who are black women in the United States. And why do you think that there has been such an underrepresentation? Yeah, I think doing a doctor after the documentary, I've been able to meet more people with this, like black males or black females. Um, I've been able to be on more podcasts because of the documentary. <laughs> Oh, and, you know, that's, that's about, and just, you know, I shared it with my school and I shared it, I shared it with my students, like when I first did the documentary, when they first came out with a trailer, like I showed them the trailer and it was like, oh, Coach White, you're famous. And I'm like, no, not quite famous, but yes. <laughs> and so all the kids were like so excited asking about when is it coming out? When is it coming out? And I was like, guys, I'll let you know. As soon as it comes out, you're going to be the first people to know. I'm going to give you information. So just seeing my kids excited about the documentary and, you know, back to that question about why I think there's a lack of black women or just 
black people in general are running. I think because we really haven't had exposure to distance running because it, it goes back to even when I was in high school. I mean, and most kids, most of the black kids are pushed towards sprinters unless you get lucky like myself and have a coach that was, you know, knowledgeable and know that, you know, you can be more than just a sprinter. And, and I think it also had to do with the community, like, in the community, they're not exposed to distant running, but with groups like Black Men Run and, and Black Girls Run, that's given more presence. Like people are actually seeing people run. And then also those runners who are moms and dads, their little kids are seeing mom and dad getting up in the morning or in the afternoon going for runs. So that's gonna inspire them. So I think those groups are gonna help build the next generation of runners. And I mean, I think last week I spoke with a lady from The Guardian, and and I don't know if that was due to the documentary or whatnot, but, you know, that's pretty exciting. I mean, and so she was telling me, like, in Detroit, um, there's more Black runners running cross-country. And so I think not just a, a doc, and the purpose of the documentary is to, like, have an impact, to aspire, to show Black women Black people in general, that you too can be in this space. You too can become distance runners at a high level. Like, it's okay if you want to do it for recreational. That's great. We want that too as well. But we also want them to know that you can excel as well. And I think the documentary and the ladies who are striving to be on the list, you know, that's that's exciting. So I think if we have those things like that, we'll get more people you know, ready to give this distance marathon a try and maybe maybe venture out into the ultras. Who knows? It's clear the documentary is already making an impact because since its release, haven't there been a few women already that have broken three since since the release of the documentary? Yes. Like before the documentary, there like one friend that I met because she found the list online and she contacted me. Well, actually, she didn't contact me, but she did like a, a tribute to me on Strava during Black History Month, maybe to about two, what is this, 2020, maybe two years ago. And um, and her her name was Dara, her name is Dyra. And she broke three hours back in, I think it may have been like 2021 at the Virginia Beach Marathon. But prior to that, I had the opportunity to run on a Blue Ridge Relay with her. And at that time, we became the first all-Black team. It was a co-ed team with males and females to participate in the Blue Ridge Relay, which is like 200 and something miles relay. It started in Virginia and go all the way to Asheville, North Carolina. And so it was just crazy because, like, I just met her from Strava. And what was so what was even more crazy, the world is just so small. Her coach is like a... Her coach at the time, I don't know if he still is her coach, um, Dave Milliner or something like that. He's really big into emceeing and putting on races in the Tennessee area. And so he happened to know me and I happened to have his contact information. I knew that was her coach based on what I saw on Strava or something because she talked about him. And so that's how we got her on a team because I reached out to the coach and then the coach relayed my information to her and then she contacted me because they was like, we need another person. Do you know any more fast people? And I was like, yeah, 
I, I don't know her, know her, but she did a tribute to me on Strava. So I feel like I know her. <laughs> That's so cool. So, and it's, it's so because it you're putting your, that worked out and it's because you put yourself out there and you, you share what you're doing and it's inspiring others. And I just love that. I think that's, that's incredible. So I have to ask you, when I was looking at your times, I noticed that you don't do a lot of the big world marathon major races. Um, is there, I know you did Chicago recently, but is there a reason that you choose not to do those races and to stick to more of the smaller marathons? Well, yeah, at the time I really just enjoyed the small marathons because it's more like a home feel, you know, even though I'm from the city of Atlanta, I'm like a small town girl in heart. But now I do desire to run all six majors. So I'm hoping to, you know, add a few this year. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe or maybe not. We'll see you in Boston. We'll be there. And if if you happen to be there too, maybe we can say hello to each other. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Um yep. so- <laughs> At some point, I know you'll you'll be at Boston, and I hope when that happens, you'll be invited to speak on some panels because I know there'll be many folks that would love to hear you speak. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so just before we close up, I just want to ask you one last question, and that is, we've talked so much about your running journey, and you've talked a lot about the ups and downs, but you constantly remain, at least on social media, to be a very positive person. When you're in a, in a slump and you're running or in life, can you share how you are able to stay this positive and, and how you're able to share your life with folks, um, in, in such, such an organic way, the ups and downs you're running, how are you able to do that and continuing positive and looking forward, even when things are difficult for you? Yeah, I, I think I've just been lucky to have people in my life that help shape me to be positive. I mean, it started back with my college coach. He would tell me like when I got upset, he was like white, just, well, he called me white. He, that's my last name. He was like, you know, just break it down like a race, you know? And that's what I apply to most thing in life. I just break it down as a race. And then when like, in general, I just always been like an optimistic person and just always been positive at nature that's like towards what I gear towards I mean not to say that I don't get sad but like if I stay sad too long it it kind of make me get a headache and then I, I don't like being sad and and then I just try to start thinking about the good things in my life you know when I'm upset about whatever it is and like with running I never tend to get upset if I'm having a bad time in running because I look at running as a gift and this is like a precious gift that I get to do regardless of how fast I'm able to do it. Like I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. You know, I, I think yesterday on Instagram, I was talking about our race, like, you know, I ran 21 minutes and granted that's, that's a solid time. It's a good time. That's not where I can be or should be, but you know, in the moment I'm happy because, you know, for a while, I couldn't even do that. So, you know, I'm happy to be able to do that. And like with running, I just, I don't know. I just always just been so positive with running. Now, other areas of life, yeah, sometimes I do get sad. And and that's when I think of running. I'm like, you know, how you stay positive with running, that's how you should stay positive with the rest of your life, you know. But with running, I never 
I don't know. It's just so crazy. I just never, ever had like a, like I, I probably have had some times where I got upset, but I think at the time I had a coach that helped me to see that, you know, Joanna is just a time. It's okay. Your legs are fine. You are fine. And you'll get another opportunity to try again. And so that's what I always think. Like, you know, I may not knock it out of the park then, but I'll still get another time to do it because there's still so many races to be ran. I mean, in 2020, there weren't that many races to be ran, you know, because I always be like, oh, they're always a race next weekend. But, you know, that was the one time it wasn't the case. And during that time, I entertained myself by doing the Dave Goggins challenge. And that was really fun. And it really tests a lot of mental fortitude, you know, just to be running all these crazy hours and just nonstop every four hours, four miles on the four hours. I mean, that was that was probably the most crazy. I mean, you know, people think racing all the time is crazy, but to me, that was the most craziest thing I ever done. Yeah, that sounds really like just such hell to me, but I'm I'm happy that you enjoyed doing it. <laughs> But Shawana, yeah. thank, you, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so generous with your time. Um, as we mentioned before, you're, you are on a lot of podcasts and I, I personally appreciate you. You don't ever seem to say no. You really are generous with your time and sharing your story. And in doing so, I have no doubt that you continue to inspire many people on and off Strava. So um, thank you so much for sharing today. We're going to link up your Instagram. We Everyone should follow you, Shawana. You're such a positive light. And I can't wait to see what you do next. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Take care. <laughs> All right, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.